Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening. Thank you so much for joining us, Michaela. We are so excited to have you here. Um, Just by looking at your pictures that you've already sent over, I know it's going to be an epic conversation. So thank you again for joining us early and good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Of course. And we also have Jameson here with us as well. Hi. (laughs) Awesome. So you were one of our adventure sponsors. And I think you are the sixth person we have talked to this year. And we were really looking forward to your adventure because you'd made some pretty fun things before you set out. And then also were able to make some really cool things um, with a sponsorship. So before we dive into it, just tell us a little bit about who you are um, and where you live. Uh, My name is Michaela. I live in Winnipeg, Manitoba right now. So that's in the middle of the prairies in Canada. Um, And I work at a newspaper. I'm a photojournalist. So I get to go around and take pictures all day. It's a pretty awesome job. Um, And in my free time, I love like being outside, hiking, biking, skiing, climbing, and just like making stuff. So whether that's sewing or drawing or like working on jobs around the house, I just like, like doing things with my hands creatively. So that's a question that we ask a lot of people and one that we get a lot of really varying answers for is how they became DIYers. So many people have stories about like, oh, I was a Lego kid or I really liked this when I was younger. What were some of those things that you saw in a younger you where you were always working with your hands or playing with your hands or that you kind of saw that you were a maker? Oh, I just like made everything. I'd like go down to my dad's woodshop and be like, I'm going to like make a dollhouse for my little sister today or like, (laughs) or I don't know. Yeah, my parents were always also working on things, whether it was, yeah, like fixing up the house and making little projects. And so I think I just probably took after them. Um, and yeah, sewing came with like when I had to like hem pants and stuff, you just like, oh, <laughs> I need to learn how to use a sewing machine. So that's awesome. So what else do you do? Your trip was was a big hike. Do you explain some of your other recreations? You mentioned biking and skiing. I mean, assuming up there in Canada, you probably even do cross-country skiing, right? Yeah, right now, it depends where, like right now in Winnipeg, I'm doing a lot of cross-country skiing. It's really flat here. So um, they also have a couple of little ski hills. So I'm learning to do like jumps and tricks because there's not like a lot of downhill. So you got to do some fun things on the way down. And actually kite skiing, I'm doing a little bit as well because there's a lot of wind on the big prairies. Um, so I'm trying to learn that with uh, variable <laughs> amounts of success. <laughs> and yeah, I, I mean, I love, yeah, hiking. I'm doing a lot of climbing lately. So um, like, yeah, bouldering and stuff also here because there's not huge mountains, but there's like a lot of cool boulders and stuff that you can play around on. So kind of, yeah, just adapting what I do to this place, which has uh, been really fun too. I think that's really interesting as well because a few of the other people that we have talked to, Uh, everyone is not just really uh, sold in all on one activity. And a lot of people, like you just said, bike or hike skiing. Um, So we talked to Bryce Gordon and it's kind of similar thing, like biking and well, he was wanting to bike and ski when you just said hiking and skiing, but I think it's fun, like combining all the activities that you love and making it 
more than just the one thing is really interesting and fun. Wait, Michaela, you said you said kite skiing, right? I said kite skiing. Actually. Kite but skiing. Kite skiing would also be cool. But yeah, yeah those. All, yeah, you were like the- hiking to go skiing, but you meant. Okay, so what is that? Because because there's no gravity when there's no mountains, you can use wind instead of gravity. Um, Oh, wow. Okay, that's even... (laughs) That's even more epic. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of like wind boarding, how people do it at the beach, but... Okay, in the mountains. Yes. Wow. Is that a popular thing up there? Like a popular activity for people to do? You see it often or? Not super popular. No, it's kind of (laughs) niche. How do you learn how to do something like that? Uh, My dad does it. And then like, so I don't know, a lot of YouTube and a lot of just like (laughs) kind of going out and getting dragged around by the wind a little bit. Not really like tangling the lines a lot. (laughs) So far, at least I'm sure there's better ways to learn. Wow, that's really interesting. Thanks for explaining that for people back at home who also might not um, have ever heard of that. I do believe I've seen a picture of it that someone used to make a sale with the Dyneema. So I've seen a picture just when you said it, it didn't register because it's not something I hear every day. (laughs) For sure. Awesome. So what is your um, sewing experience? You said you learned kind of just when you were forced to by having to hem pants. Um, so tell us a little bit more about your sewing experience and then people are always curious to know what kind of machine you work on. Yeah. So like, yeah, definitely had to have hem pants and like fix a lot, a lot of holes in knees and stuff, um, with climbing pants. Um, when I was a kid, I made a lot of like failed articles of clothing. So like, I guess my creative process is just like learning by trying and not really learning by like following steps. I don't like patterns and stuff. So so I think finally I've gotten to the level where I can actually like make something functional, which is great. Um, but it's a lot of just like messing around and then like, yeah, um, fixing stuff that needed fixing. Um, and I use a couple of home machines. I use one newer one and then one like super old, just like retro one that was hanging around my dad's house. It depends on who I've like lent sewing machines out to lately as to which machine I'm using. <laughs> um, so yeah, just, I mean, they're nothing special, but but they do the job. They got a straight stitch and a zigzag stitch, but all you need. I think that's so important. I think everyone thinks you need this big fancy machine. So I think when people see the gear that you made and just hearing, you know, you have a vintage one and another one, like no big deal um, that it will help inspire other people. Um, When did you go or what inspired you to want to start making your own gear from, you know, just patching clothes and hemming pants to wanting to, create your own outdoor adventure gear for hiking and outdoor wear? Um, I think actually before this trip, I kind of started looking more into like the ultralight mentality. And I had always been like more of like a minimalist packer, packer, but with like traditional gear. And then I realized that like you could just kind of bring it to the next level with having, having lighter gear of those few like items. Um, and so I thought that was super cool, but um, it was crazy expensive. And I also like, I'm pretty specific about what I wanted so like I knew exactly what I wanted so it's like oh I could make something that is exactly what I want and is not at a crazy high cost um if I yeah so like if I make it myself and it's also just fun like I learned so much about the gear and feel like I have a way better understanding of like how just the gear works and how how it works for me just because I made it 
Yeah, I think I can definitely relate to that. I know that um, in your application, when you applied, you had mentioned that you had made your own hiking pants and also rain jackets for you and your sisters. And I think especially as a woman in like the hiking gear, especially clothing wear that our options are, um, are very slim and kind of just strange. Like they kind of make one pair of rain pants and it doesn't, it fit all shapes and sizes. And if you're talking about hemming pants, I'm assuming you're on the shorter side like me. So everything is just way too long, including rain pants. So I kind of love that you have that vision for yourself and you know exactly what you want to make. And you're like, I see this and I'm going to make it way better. No, for sure. So I want to hear about your adventure now. Tell us about why you decided to make the gear and what you decided to take that gear on or what adventure that was. So the adventure was a section hike of the Great Divide Trail. Um, I had never done a hike longer than like five days or a week. And I wanted to figure out whether I would like through hiking. Um, I was like, I like, because I was dreaming about these huge long hikes. I was like, maybe I should try something for like a month <laughs> before like committing to a large section of life. So I was like, okay, this seems like a really great way to try through hiking. So it was like, ended up being 20 days long, which is a perfect kind of like three, that's all my vacation. I had three weeks of vacation. Um, and yeah, I kind of, I hiked just south of Jasper and I hiked all along the Great Divide Trail doing a lot of the like higher alternate routes that aren't really trail, but more like along the ridges and up passes and stuff. And it was pretty amazing. It was quite uh, an adventure for sure. How many miles did that take you? Um, it was only just like over 300 kilometers. So okay. 200 something miles. And then when you're talking about uh, these alternate routes and these high passes, I don't think people really at least myself didn't understand until you see these pictures and the scenery, what is the elevation um, or like roughly, you know, maybe it's some of the higher passes of the trail that you're hiking on the Great Divide. I don't know what the elevation was. Um, you just look like you were up super high and with the weather conditions. I won't give anything away, but okay. I would assume if I had to guess like over 10,000, no, no, I think just under 10,000, actually. I just looked it up. It's okay. like 10,500 was like highest on the on the main trail. It goes a little higher on the alternates. Um, so probably just under 10,000. Okay, um, cool. So not that high, but yeah, it was like a lot of um, high alpine kind of uh, scenery and stuff. It was, it was absolutely gorgeous. Except for when you're in the valley and bushwhacking. Is, I mean, also <laughs> different kind of gorgeous. <laughs> So yeah. for people that are listening, because we'll publish this um, in November, what, um, what dates did you go? What time of year? What month did you do this section hike? Um, I started right at the end of August and did it like the first, pretty much just the first few weeks of September. Um, yeah, so it was kind of shoulder season. Definitely shoulder season in the Rockies. Um, it, was, it was good. I had pretty decent weather. I had two major snowstorms. And I think it went down to like maybe minus seven overnight was the coldest we figured. Um, Celsius. Um, yeah, Celsius. So that's well below freezing. Like everything was frozen solid. Um, <laughs> it which sucks because like our shoes were wet pretty much most of the time. So we had to put on like ice blocks and shoes <laughs> no. a couple of times. Um, 
that's a horrible <laughs> feeling <laughs> yeah I'm like when it just won't even go on your foot because it's that frozen <laughs> it's just lovely um but but yeah it was pretty fantastic um there was no parts that were like impassable because of snow or anything so we were pretty lucky that way yeah. so you went from jasper and i looked it up 300 kilometers is about 180 190 miles then you went as far east as you could go or is that right as far south so it south. goes along oh, okay. the Great divide which is like uh the mountain where the that's right the waters yeah go the other way yep so okay so far south where, where did you uh, i mean i i know where jasper is kind of as an american knows where jasper is like oh it's in canada but <laughs> how far <clears throat> did you get close to the american border or were you still well north well north so like i got somewhere between lake louise and banff approximately okay. i've made there's a yeah so like i did pretty much almost the entire icy gotcha. parkway highway um which goes from the trans canada okay. north to jasper um, wow, that yeah. is stunning train. I mean, I'm looking at your pictures, so I get the cheat sheet here. But for everyone uh, listening and has that hasn't caught on, Mikhail is also a, a photojournalist. So her photos are not only stunning from wonderful terrain, but also Mikhail is a fantastic photographer. So we'll we'll share these, and you'll be able to see them for yourself as well. Um, but it's remarkable. These are fantastic, Michaela. Since we're on the topic of photography, and I know that there are a lot of ultralight nerds out there that also love to take and document things um, from pictures, tell us a little bit about your, if you want to share, um, your camera setup. Uh, my camera setup was not ultralight. Um, <laughs> it probably increased my base weight by like a significant amount, like definitely a few pounds. Um, That's okay. Uh, so yeah, it was definitely a a hard decision to bring it along but um I brought a 5D Mark III camera so it's a DSLR and uh, a couple lenses like a wide lens and a bit of a longer prime lens. So. Not to get too off topic but I know that uh, we haven't really divulged with many people about uh, like maybe tips and tricks for carrying this very expensive gear when you're walking through two snowstorms and 300 kilometers. So how do you, or how would you give advice to someone for packing and taking this camera gear with them? I mean, I don't know if I'm the best. Cause like, you'll notice that there are not very many pictures of it raining or of us bushwhacking. So that's because it was in the pack, um, staying protected. Um, and we were just trying to make it through whatever. Um, yeah. The less than scenic part. So you just... Uh, throwing your camera in a stuff sack do you have like a neoprene case for it no I just I just kind of usually just stuff my jackets around it um cool. so I, it's somewhere near the top with like I don't know all the stuff sacks with the stuff that you need right away <laughs> just kind of like squished beside um yeah and I usually keep my extra lens in my in my toque because it's a good um good good okay. case and then I just I usually have the camera, I just um, put the strap around the backpack and let it, let it hang down the back when I'm just, when I'm in open terrain. Um, I just Thanks. usually have a carabiner attaching it to like the loop that you pick it up by. So it can't really cool. fall down. And then you Easy can enough. grab it awkwardly from behind and slide it around. <laughs> no, I feel like backpacking with any kind of photography gear, camera, video, whatever, however people want to document it, it's, there's no right or wrong answer. And it's also one of those things that everyone does so differently. So it's always interesting to see and hear how people are 
carrying that gear in the backcountry. So I figured other people would be curious as well. So thanks for sharing. That worked pretty well too. Cause like I had the elastic, um, on the back of like back of my pack and I could just kind of tuck my lens into that elastic. Right. Not it's kind of cool that you did that because I see there's a ton of um I see all those like strap systems for or like latch systems you can hook the lens on from from the anchor point and like different stuff like that if you've even seen like hip packs or, or fanny packs with different attachment systems and they all seem really cool in some ways they also all seem really complicated or like there's a lot of points of failure so I think it's interesting how you chose to just go with the strap that it came with have you tested those other systems or did you consider building something in on your backpack at all no I kind of just like have never tried those and I usually have yeah. a carabiner on me so I can usually just clip it on and yeah yeah <laughs> so and I don't like having it in the way in the front I like having yeah. it um yeah I don't have yeah it's just more comfortable yeah no no I'm with you that's really interesting Okay, so uh, speaking of the backpack, kind of spoiler alert there, tell us what you made. Uh, it was a backpack, but how did you end up getting to that design or just what materials did you use? Kind of give us the, uh, give us the overview of your backpack. Uh, my backpack was a pretty simple design, like just uh, one big like stuff sack with shoulder straps, hip straps, side pockets, and some elastic at the front, a roll top. I made it with Robic um, because that seemed like a good balance of durability and cost for a first backpack that you know may or may not turn out exactly how you want it um and yeah it's been super great actually it worked out really well uh, i love the way it carries um and i'm still like playing around with different frame configurations and ideas so i'm trying to figure that out a little bit i also made a bunch of other stuff i don't know if you wanted to talk about that right away yeah yeah, yeah. okay so i also like i made a quilt for my mom a false bottom bag for myself um and then wind shirts for myself and my, my mom and that was so that's what I made with the the like the sponsorship and then the other homemade gear that I had on the way too was like I made some gaiters out of some old leggings I made my rain jacket and pants and rain mitts like my hiking pants um and I made a couple little pea cloths from scraps so so what what did you carry that you didn't make other than probably like your stove your maybe you made your own mug now at this point I don't know that'd be so rad <laughs> no uh my tent and my stove okay. um that kind of stuff yeah well that is seriously impressive there aren't many people one that backpack with oh gear that they made themselves let alone backpack with pretty much everything that they made themselves so that <laughs> I if people could see my face I'm just like mouth wide open that's impressive and I do want to make some more insulating layers so like I, I didn't make like my merino wool like base layers or like my puffy jackets like multiple puffy jackets um so that stuff I would actually love to try making in the future so I'm most I'm super interested I mean all this gear looks phenomenal first things first but I'm really interested to hear about making the wind jackets so we just did kind of that shirt back there that's Carter's uh cycling jersey that he just made on this latest episode of Rips Up on the Record or for people listening in the future that's the one year anniversary um and he said it was the hardest thing he's ever sewed I mean he's been sewing for eight years he's a phenomenal maker but that one shirt was like the worst thing he had a lot of choice words for it so what was your experience like making clothing I mean that is no joke at all um I loved it so I think um, <laughs> it worked out really well I used the same 
pattern that I had made, like I kind of made a template for my rain jackets. Um, and I just used the same one for my wind shirts, but then just like altered it a little bit because I wanted the same kind of fit. Um, yeah, and I, and I just made like kind of a hoodie style where it's like a half zip. Mine had just half snaps and then yeah, I made it out of the Airwave nylon, so it like didn't feel so slippery. It was like a little bit nicer um, to the touch, and it was pretty durable. Like I had no problems with that, and it had a great like um, DWR coating because um, it was like fantastic for those like kind of in between weather moments. Um, yeah, worked really well. So I made. What my... color of the Airwave did you use? Uh, for my mom's, I used the the electric line. Um, and okay. then for mine, I actually dyed it because um, some custom colors um, because I wanted to have a two-tone yellow. I had my heart set on this one exact color scheme. And so I got out the uh, kitchen pots and, um, <laughs> and dyed it. I'm just looking at your pictures. So I'm making sure I'm looking at the right thing and I see it. Um, yours and your mom's, I believe. Um, okay, so not to stray away too far from that. Tell us more about how you dyed this fabric and what you did because I know other people it's not something that we talk about a lot it's definitely something that people can do it's we also just don't get asked about it a lot so I think when you do this little easter egg people are going to be really psyched about learning how to do this yeah um well I really just wanted a yellow wind jacket and there was no <laughs> yellow option for the fabric I wanted so I got the white um and just I just got like writ dye from like the fabric store, like the really basic craft store dye um, and dunked it in a big canning pot. Um, did a couple different, like I mixed a few different colors to make it exactly what I wanted. Um, yeah, and it was great. It actually didn't even, I was worried that I'd have to reapply the DWR, but it actually still worked fine afterwards. So it maybe like probably simulated like a, a few times washing it or something probably I'm assuming in terms of the wear that it kind of caused on the fabric but it it seemed to be great um yeah I was really impressed actually with how it absorbed the dye because I wasn't sure with with the nylon synthetics how exactly it would go it's a bit more kind of hit and miss sometimes with synthetics and it worked fantastic so did you test a swatch first or did you just go for it I tested a tiny little swatch. I just like dipped it in. I was like, oh yeah, that looks good. And then, and then dunked the whole thing. Like, okay, I and then did you make the garment first and then dye it? Or did you dye the fabric and then make the garment? I dyed the fabric first because I wanted to have it a two-tone. So the top is like okay. a lighter yellow and the bottom is kind of a more of a darker gold. Um, so, and I- <laughs> That figured... is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just like- DIY the DIY. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great way to put it, Jameson. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I don't even, I, I'm not sure even where to go from here because I'm just, I like was like typing down notes, as you said, everything that you made and it's a long list. So tell us where you want to take it next. What else do you want to talk about of something that you made? And you said a quilt for yourself. You said a bottom, you say a, a bottom back. So I, a false bottom quilt. So like, where like a bag where you just don't have the down on the bottom. So like, instead of, instead of having an open quilt, I had a panel of fabric down the back so that it didn't have any drafts. Um, okay. And I really loved that. That's actually a good one to talk about because it, it had 
all the benefits of a quilt because you don't have the weight and you don't have the zipper and um, all that without having so many drafts. I, I knew it was going to be really cold. Um, so I feel like quilts get a little bit um, harder to use, like around like 20 degrees Fahrenheit or like zero degrees Celsius is where it kind of gets trickier with those drafts. And so I, by like putting this panel of fabric in, which I could like shape it exactly to how I wanted it to fit my body, um, <laughs> I could like not have any drafts and just, um, and still have the weight savings of a quilt. Okay. So tell us a little bit more about that. My, I, I'm a quilt user, but for someone who might not be the quilt that I have that I'm using familiar with, you know, it's uh, no zippers. There's the little V cutout section in the back, but it still kind of drapes around the sides um, and it's totally baffled with down. So is what you made um, just down on the top and then just a flat fabric on the back. Yeah, down on the top and the sides and just kind of a okay. little bit around. And then just like the v, the v panel that you were talking about that's cut out on yours is just filled in with fabric on mine. Ah, make, yeah. Awesome. And then what kind of, what rated down did you use for your quilt? Um, well, for my mom's, I used your guys' 850 fill power, um, like water hydrophobic treated, whatever one. Um, and for mine, I used a mix. Um, it was a bit of an adventure. I wanted to try some local down because we have a lot of a lot of geese, <laughs> I got a lot of a lot of local options here. Um, so I went directly to the suppliers and uh, asked the the Hatterites around here. They have a lot of geese, and they just like brought a garbage bag full of down to my front step. And then I, but then I had to sort some feathers out, and that was like a lot of work. And so I got about halfway through that garbage bag before I was like, no. I can't because I made a system like with a fan and stuff and it was like just just very very labor intensive and I made it like I probably filled half half of my bag with that down and then I went to another local supplier that had like had pre-sorted like down it was 900 fill power um uh goose down and I filled out the rest of my bag with that <laughs> are you still finding down feathers in your house to this day <laughs> um yeah I mean not anymore it's been a couple months <laughs> but yeah it was it was a messy process those are such a mess that's incredible though i've also never thought about locally sourcing down that is that's not in the realm of opportunity for so many people but i love that you thought of that and you looked for that um that's so fascinating yeah um it was fun <laughs> <laughs> I love that every project you tell us about is what Jameson said. You're like DIY in the DIY. And you're yeah. like, I'm going to get my own down and sort through my own down and do it myself. And your spirit and determination is unrivaled. It's amazing. <laughs> really fun. Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> what fabrics did you use for your quilt and also your mom's quilt? Uh, I used the membrane 10. So the like, I think it's 0.66 ounces per square yard. Um, it was great. I loved, it was like super light um, and super strong. Had Like it still looks brand new. Um, and then I know a lot of people complain about having to sew with that fabric. What is your takeaway from sewing with the 0.66 membrane? Uh, I was, it was okay. Um, <laughs> I was expecting worse because I had heard so many bad things. So it was like, it was fine. Honestly, most of it was pretty good. I started my sewing, like I sewed the worst things first. So I started with like the finickiest fabrics, which was like the silk nylon and like the, like the membrane silk poly. And like then, the, and then I went to the, 
to the quilts, which were like also the super fine. And then I went like into easier and easier fabrics kind of I went as I went along so that I didn't get frustrated. <laughs> I'm really interested awesome. to hear about what you used for your your gaiters, your and your mitts. Um, so the gaiters, I just made like little like um, kind of the same style as a dirty girl gator. So I just I just used some old leggings that the knees had worn out and I flipped them upside down and I cut them off at the length I needed and added some Velcro in it and like a um, reinforcement at the toe for a hook. So I see it's perfect. So you, so then you, the taper was already there and the yeah. stretch is already there. So you didn't have to worry about, okay. Yeah. Brilliant. Because they already fit my leg. Um, yeah. They're just upside down. So they fit over the <laughs> shoe instead. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. And then what about your mitts? Uh, I just made so some, like some rain mitts, just some silk nylon ones out of like okay. scraps from the rain jackets and pants. Um, yeah, which actually worked really well they, for keeping, for really wet days, just keeping yeah. it, so a, a bit of a microclimate around your hand. Yeah, yeah, that's that's genius, especially in a, well, a, a fairly cold environment too. Uh, sometimes you don't want that much insulation, but a lot of insulated, like insulated gloves are not that rain resistant. That's that's really smart. Yeah, and we had like um, a lot of times where it would like be some really cold rain and then the next day it would be uh, snow and frozen. So like I wanted to keep my insulating layers in my pack and dry. So I just wear, I wear like just my rain mitts and then I'd have my proper mitts in my backpack ready for the next day when it was going to snow. So. Gotcha. And then what did you use to make uh, your leggings out of slash you said maybe leggings and hiking pants? I just made hiking pants. So I, uh, okay. those I made before. So those I had made like with, um, I forget some nylon blend of fabric. It was, yeah. Those had yeah been no, good. that's definitely something I know that we're hoping to bring on more is that apparel grade fabric. We get asked it constantly. At least I do all the time. People are like, I want to make my own hiking pants. And I'm like, listen, sis, me too. <laughs> um, cool. So that's awesome. That's still another huge feat, especially after seeing Carter make, I don't know if it's a little easier for women to make apparel or what, but it doesn't like erg me out as much as it does. It seems like Carter and Jameson. Um, I don't know if it's like playing with the Barbie clothes growing up or the doll clothes, but I'm like, I feel inspired by what you've made and wanting to go back to my roots and also make some of my own outdoor apparel. So that's awesome. Yeah, I, I've then, made some clothes before as well. So just like regular clothes. So that probably helps a lot. Yeah, it's a little easier like being like, I'm going to make a cotton dress versus like, I'm going to use a lot of money on a rain jacket <laughs> to make something. But you did make your rain jacket, I believe in rain pants. And how did those, you had two you said pretty major snowstorms how did that gear wear and hold up during that trip in those snowstorms um the gear worked pretty well so I ended up going with still nylon because I just I've got a little frustrated with Gore-Tex um, with it always wetting out and stuff I'm just I had some bad experiences so I decided to go with the like the non-breathable and be really, really careful about my layers and how much I was like regulating my temperature and stuff. And it worked out pretty well. I just had to be like very cognizant of what I was wearing underneath. Um, and then 
Uh, yeah, it worked out pretty well. The rain pants definitely got somewhere. I wore them a ton more than I thought I would. I was hoping that they'd just be like emergency rain pants, but that was definitely <laughs> thinking because we wore them pretty much every day in the mornings too, when you're going through wet brush. Like, so I wore them almost every day in the end, which was not ideal. Um, and they definitely have some wear, so I would have to do some patching, but the, the jacket list is totally fine. Awesome. So obviously there's a lot of different things that we could touch on here, but I'll just kind of ask you and however you feel like you want to answer for one of these projects, but what was the hardest part of the process? It might be a loaded question since there's a lot here, but uh, (laughs) what what would you think the hardest part of your process was? Sorting that down. (laughs) So lesson learned, don't try and sort sort your own down. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Fair enough. I still love that you locally sourced that I think that's really cool. I know that down uh, is a really loaded thing economically. Um, it's just something that in the fashion industry is being used for fast, fast, fast fashion more and more. So, and all like the bedding and stuff. So it has become harder to obtain and therefore more expensive because it's a resource thing. Um, so I love that <laughs> you have that mindset of I'm going to like locally find this and put in the hard work and then create your own fanning system to, <laughs> to try to do this. It's really admirable um, all that you went through to get the down sorted. Kayla, yeah. did you have any <clears throat> did you have any performance issues with that down Um, because I know there's a big there's a big difference between like the down that we sell and other down how did you see that the down that you use the local one pack or perform or get wet or dry out or can you talk at all about how it worked in the field it worked really well Um, so I did overstuff my baffles uh, significantly more than I think I did my mom's my mom's had the hydrophobic so I wanted to kind of to mitigate the fact that it's not hydrophobic I overstuffed overstuffed a little bit to kind of give it a bit of a backup in case some of it got down but we were able to keep our bags well actually our bags did get pretty wet sometimes like down um and mine worked really well like my my dad's he had like just a store-bought one and it like you could see through his bag at the end of like a few really really wet nights and mine was still very puffy so um so I was really happy it it performed really really well dried out fast um yeah the drying out fast was key <laughs> yeah that's really impressive yeah I think maybe since, the light fabric help with that since you kind of used a combination of sorting your own down and then also getting this 900 full power um what would you say your bag was ended up being rated I think 900 full power would be accurate because the down that I also sorted myself was like super high quality it was really really lovely down but you took your bag into like, what was, if you had to guess the lowest night that you had during your 20 day trek? So we guessed that it was minus seven. Um, that was our guess. It was, we know it was well below zero. Cause we had like a few, quite a few nights that hovered kind of uh, just below freezing and then so minus seven Celsius. Um, okay. So that is what, like 20 or maybe 19. it was a bit. Yeah. So like just below 20 degrees like I so I was yeah I'd say 
I think, yeah, but it was like definitely like salt, frozen solid. So below 20 degrees Fahrenheit, somewhere between 10 and 20. That, that probably doesn't even account fully for like wind chill and stuff too, right? So you're looking at 20 degrees, like still temperature and then <laughs> however much colder that might be. That's wild. Overnight. So, but, but we were cozy overnight. Um, it was just really hard to get up. That's, all. <laughs> That's a good problem to have, especially in the backcountry. You mentioned both of your both of your parents. Did you do this trip with with both of them or individual sections with both of them? How did that work with with hiking partners? Uh, yeah, I did sections with uh, multiple people I enjoy spending time with. So um, I did like the first section I was actually planning on doing on my own, but then because there was a snowstorm forecast and we're going over some really high passes, that's the highest section. But didn't want to be navigating a whiteout by myself. So my dad came along for the first few days and then he, he uh, left. There was like an exit point that he could go out. And then after the weather had passed and I did the last four days of that section on my own. And then um, I did the next section with my mom and then I did the last section with a friend. So yeah, it was a really good time to spend with like quality time. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. That's, um, that's a great way to put together a trip, especially a lot of our adventure sponsors have done it with significant others or with friends or or with people that they love. But I like how you piece together kind of a few different sections where you got time with different people each time or each section. And then you get your resupply delivered too. It's pretty, pretty great. (laughs) That's, that's a tactical genius move actually. I like that. (laughs) What would you change? Is there anything about your gear that you want to go back and redo or that you would change next time you made it? I'm tinkering with the pack frame. That's what I'm trying to figure out. I ended up just putting in a frame from another backpack I had um, because I've just been trying out a bunch of options, but I'm definitely trying to figure out what like the lightest, most supportive pack frame options are. Hmm. So like I'm kind of, I think I'm going to try stays, just some aluminum stays next. I kind of had a sheet. I had, I tried going frameless, like during my training hikes and stuff. And then I ended up trying. So this one had like an aluminum kind of upside down U with a bit of a plastic frame sheet is what I ended up using for the hike. So how did you, you said you pulled that out of other past backpacks or have you made any of those frames yet? Yeah. So some of them, like, I mean, when it was frameless, it was just a sheet of foam. I just cut out a sheet of foam. Um, and then I had tried, yeah, cutting, like I had a plastic bit that was cut out that was made by what I like I had like I kind of made that myself I guess you could say and then but yeah this one with like the aluminum upside down you that one was from another pack so I think I'm going to try probably making some like some stay stays that yeah. are yeah curved a little bit to my back next that makes sense what was uh what was the liter capacity of your backpack um I was aiming for around 50 liters but it's like I loved my pack was like pretty modular and like hugely variable. So with the roll top, I had like a large like yeah. um, variation that I could have. So probably anywhere from like 35, like 40 liters to like 60, I think like, or maybe not quite that, but like within, in the range around 50. Okay. How do you say there, do you find a difference between packs that you see in other parts of the country and other parts of North America vary to what you did there? I'm wondering if there's like a design style between makers, between people that are hiking, you know, in Appalachia, like in North Carolina, wet conditions, low, uh, low elevation to comparing that to packs that you might see in Alpine zones or anything like that. Do you notice any of those differences as somebody that was hiking in a pretty uh, exposed area? <laughs> um, I don't know. 
I saw a lot of different packs. So, like, I mean, maybe there's just more, most of them are more traditional packs. Um, yeah. So I didn't really see anything like mine out. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, yeah. 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 So I don't know. There's a lot of different packs. And, and I haven't really hiked in Appalachia or anything. So like I've hiked. I've made, yeah. I don't know. I, so the, one of the, one of the reasons that I asked is I noticed how on the outside of your pack, you didn't include a main pocket, which in some ways Ooh. is kind of like a mainstay for ultralight backpacks. And, and I love that you didn't because I, to be honest, sometimes I get tired of seeing the outside backpack or the outside pocket. Now also to be clear, I just made a backpack with an outside pocket. So I included it still, but I kind of, it was interesting to, me to see that. I understand what you're saying. It's like a more designed after like an Alpine kind of style where like, yeah, there's nothing that can get caught and that like, can get worn off. So like, we are doing a lot of bushwhacking for some parts where we're like climbing over trees and climbing under trees. And like once like army crawling underneath logs and brush, like sometimes there's not even room to like, to be on your hands and knees. Um, so like it needed to be pretty durable for sure. Um, and so I didn't, uh, I know that like my, the people I hiked with, they had a big outside pack, outside pocket, but it was Dyneema. And so it was fine. It worked really well as well. But I did like, I liked having the elastics actually also just to dry it. I used it as my, like my laundry line. Um, Cause we didn't really have time to always stop in the sun and there was not that much sun sometimes. So, so I could keep my, my wet socks on the outside um, and my towel <laughs> for wiping up stuff like on the outside to dry. Um, so I actually thought it was really useful for me. Although I do like the idea of a big pocket on the outside too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes a ton of sense now, actually. Um, and that's really cool. You kind of saw that ahead of time. How did the aerobic hold up with some of that crazy bushwhacking? Held up great. Um, yeah, <clears throat> it, was, it, it looks really great. There's a couple of like areas where it like maybe pulled a bit because I had like overstuffed, but mm. but like no failure points at all yet. Yeah. Nothing here. Yeah. Did you use uh, 210 or 420? Which one do you remember? 210 and then 420 on the bottom. Okay. So, yeah, for just the bottom section where it's on the ground all the time. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I was really happy with it. So you mentioned that you wanted to do this hike because you wanted to see if you would enjoy perhaps doing a longer through hike in the future. So I wanted to ask how that went for you. If you still have plans to maybe do another 20 day, 50 day trek. Um, and if you do, what is on the horizon for you? Yeah, I loved it. So like, I definitely learned that I absolutely love walking every day, all day. <laughs> um, um, I don't have any plans, like specifically, I'm still looking at different things for through hikes. Um, but yeah, I'm mostly just like excited for, for ski season now to like, <laughs> for some snow. So yeah. What are you going to make next? I have some down left over. So um, I gotta, I have to make something with that down. I either a summer bag or maybe like a jacket or a vest. Mm, yeah, I have to figure out. Or some sh like little down shorts maybe. I like sometimes my, like my hips and butt area gets cold overnight. So I was like, maybe I need some down shorts. I don't know. I, there's, there's some I've leftover seen, um, They make some down skirts and then one side of it is just a zipper. So they're really easy to get on and off of like leggings uh, for like skiing or whatever you're doing in the winter. It is nice. So yeah, I think something, something with that extra down for sure. That's brilliant. Carter first introduced me to new 
areas of down for instance he's a down t-shirt and i remember seeing that in his closet i was like why did you cut the sleeves off of this jacket he was like it's a down t-shirt you don't understand like no i really don't but after kind of after talking it out a little bit i was like oh there's some really cool uses like you said down skirt or down shorts down t-shirt like some really strange assortment of items that like little bits of insulation go a really long way Oh, and like I wore uh, like a synthetic vest, like pretty much as a base layer the entire trip. So I maybe should make one of those too. That one I borrowed from my mom. So I should probably make a synthetic vest. I found that a really useful layer for, for like relatively cold weather hiking. Yeah. yeah, it just keeps your core warm and then you're doing all these arm motions while <laughs> you're trekking or skiing or whatever. So I find it as someone who's a really sweaty person and has a hard time, even in like 20 degrees, wearing a lot of gear that I just like the second I start moving, I start getting real warm. So that'd be great. Let us know if you end up making a vest. Um, I'm sure you'll get a lot of use over it now that winter is upon us. So you said that you're still waiting for that first snow of the season where you live before Halloween. So hopefully you get it and you'll be like, okay, I really do need to make this like sooner rather than later. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. So I think we're running low on, on time here, but I'm really interested to see how you made the time to make all this gear. I mean, I don't, this, the amount of gear that you made is pretty remarkable. And you said you worked on it over a couple of months, but uh, did you sew every night? Were you excited about sewing? Were you tired? You're like, I just don't feel like putting stuff together tonight. how do you find the time to put all this gear together? Uh, I love being busy and tinkering <laughs> on things. So um, I always need to have a project usually going. Um, to be happy. So, so it was not a problem. Yeah. I loved having something to, to fall back on. Oh, tonight I know what I'm doing. If I don't have any else planned, I'm going to be, yeah. Putting the baffles on my quilts or whatever. Right. So um, knees deep in, in down. That's what you're going to be doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so definitely like a few full weekends of just like really working hard. Um, but, but it was, yeah. And I, I had, it was good. It's good to have deadlines too. Like that helps a lot. The deadlines and without yeah. the deadlines, I don't know if I'd be done yet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's phenomenal. This has been so exciting, Mikhail. Thank you for showing all or sharing all about your making and your journey and stuff. And uh just I have to plug it again. These photos are fantastic. We have really enjoyed seeing them and uh the ones that you just shared from the adventure itself are stunning. So we'll we'll make sure people know who who shot these and uh they'll get out there for sure. <laughs> awesome. And then where can people follow you and your adventures? Um, not a huge social media person, but I am on Instagram and I do occasionally post. <laughs> I am just posting right now. I'm just uh, kind of doing the later gram thing, posting from my trip. Um, and so it's at setmichaela.mckenzie. Um, that's probably the best way. Perfect. And we'll also link that in the show notes so people can see your pictures, but Thank you again so much for being one of our adventure sponsors. Um, it's been interesting because, you know, we just kind of picked people electronically. And then as we've been able to talk to them and really get to know them more in their adventures, there's so many different common threads, as I like to say, between everyone. So it's been really great to talk to you and learn that you were just, you know, growing up as a kid, making things with your hands and it transpired to hemming pants and then making your own gear and going on this epic adventure. So thank you again for sharing that with us. Um, 
and all the cool gear you made. And I know you're going to inspire a lot of people out there after they hear everything that you made and then get to see the pictures that go along with it. You're just clearly you're a great storyteller. You're a photojournalist. So it really shows. And I think people will be very appreciative of that. Thanks so much for the sponsorship. It made it possible to like play around and try all of these super cool things. So yeah, to make them. It's been like a fantastic experience. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to go make a wind jacket now. <laughs> it's a great layer. Like a really, really like useful layer. <laughs> love it. Thanks, Michaela. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye.